everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in to find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together can be just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Uh, This is the episode where we answer some more of my followers' questions, so let's get into it. The first question is, can you please talk about when people use an event like the wildfires and smoke to claim the scary apocalypse stuff? And how do you finally free yourself from that? So this is the teaching about Revelation, the book of Revelation being tied to the apocalypse and what happens during for end times theology. Well, first of all, the first thing I would tell you to free yourself is to learn about John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby is really the father of end times theology, rapture theology, if you will. And his writings were instrumental in teaching this integrating fear-based theology with this rapture theology. And it was very lucrative for especially evangelical ministers here in America to tie these two theologies together because they were looking for ways to get people more attached to church. And if fear was a motivating factor, they were fine with that. But basically the rapture theology is the one where that there's going to be a great rapture of all the people saved in Jesus that will be taken up to heaven before the trials and tribulation of end times start. Now, that is a really, I'm just going to say it, gross misinterpretation of what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, but it is written for a time when when the Roman Empire was horrifically crucifying uh, Jews and Christians. So, You had to suppress your identity and everything had to be written in code. So the places where you hear about the mark of the beast and things like that, everything can be referenced back to the Roman empire. Everything was written in code. It's a book of hope. It's a book to tell people to keep the faith because this emperor was never, was not going to always be in power and that things would change. That's what the book of Revelation is about. But people have spent many years and thousands of hours convoluting that scripture to make it be something that it isn't because it serves fear-based theology. What's interesting about the book of Revelation, and it's tied to uh, the rapture theology and hell and, and things like that, is that you have Bible literalists who say that The Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. Everything in it is true and everything in it is accurate. But rapture theology is only several hundred years old. So if it's infallible, how can you get a new awareness out of it? How can can something change? Well, John Nelson Darby was writing at a time just at the edges of the Enlightenment era. So this was a time when you're coming out of the... Uh, Dark Ages, the Inquisition, all of that stuff that was happening. And people were starting to encourage philosophical questioning and thinking. So the Great Awakening was starting to happen, happen, which was the church's response to people encouraging independent thought. 
and questioning some of the doctrines of the church. Well, the church didn't like that. So this rapture theology came along at a time that was very convenient to turn people back to church, turn off all your reasonable thinking and just believe what we're spoon feeding you from the pulpit. So the deconstructing of that, when you ask, how do you get rid of that is through teachings. And, and, you know, if something as simple as this podcast helps you, I hope that that's great, but it can also help point you to places where you can learn more about it. There is a book by Elaine Pagels, P-A-G-E-L-S, and I have all my book recommendations on RevCarla.com. Using those links help us because those are affiliate links to order your books, and we appreciate that, earning those commissions off of the the books that you order. That book is called uh, The Book of Revelation, I think, by Elaine Pagels. It's on my recommended book list. Also, basically anything that you want to read from John Shelby Spong, Christianity Must Change or Die, those writings are incredibly important to look at these things from a biblical scholarly perspective instead of a literal perspective. Any one of those books can help you. Uh, How Jesus Became God by Bart Ehrman is on there and Zealot by Reza Aslan is on there. And those books will help you understand that there are several ways to understand scripture and looking at it through the lens of scholarly research starts to give you permission to pull back from some of those indoctrinated beliefs and look at how they have been weaponized to control you. So I think that that's a real, I, I hope that helps. And I, at least that's, that's a, that's a start for you. We could make a whole podcast on that. Maybe someday I will. And I might have, I've been doing this now for over three years. I forget everything that I've talked about. Um, And then the second one is kind of the same thing. How do you free yourself from the concept of hell, which I just talked a little bit about here, but I do remember as a child digging in my front yard and being all of a sudden being terrified. I had dug down like maybe that far, like about I'm holding up three inches and being terrified that I was going to dig to hell. So I stopped. I mean, absolutely mortified. I went running inside. Imagine that type of fear that you're indoctrinating children into. When we talk about the grooming of children, that I had such an innate fear of hell that I would not dig in my garden because of it. So those same kind of books will also help you deconstruct from that. I believe Bart Ehrman also has a book called Heaven and Hell. I have not read it. Um, I've heard his interviews about it and I'm on his, he has a blog that, that is behind a paywall. But if you're really into this research, it's really, really good. It's called the Bart Ehrman blog, E-H-R-M-A-N, and it is wonderful. And you can really get a glimpse into the research what, where some of this stuff is coming from and how this, this metaphorical teaching about the suffering of people that we cause upon ourselves because of the choices we make in our lives becomes a literal place that's weaponized because I can hold on to you and make you bound to my religious beliefs. If you believe that if you deviate from anything I'm teaching you, you're going to hell and how that evolved over time. So I hope that that helps you as well. The third question in year four of deconstruction and doing much better, is it weird to still desire to be a part of the faith church community? Any ideas on moving forward? Well, yes, grief is valid. You're talking about losing so much of your spiritual identity. You're talking about losing some people lose their family 
and their church family is just as co- close as their their DNA family. You're talking about losing the 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 identity of who you've been your entire life. If you're not Christian and you're not churched, then what are you? That grief, that grief you will hold on to in some ways. I I just said I, it's been 12 years since I've left church, and I had a moment this week about remembering someone who was very indoctrinated in that belief and made it very clear that she wanted nothing to do with me when I left church. And I had a moment of sadness about her because I so enjoyed her company. We spent so many hours together working on projects and it just went away. And after all these, this time, I just had a, a thought about her and I, I sent her love through a moment of breath and prayer, because that's the only option that's available to me now. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But grief is something that we carry with us as an element that binds up our heart to allow us to move forward. But the grief is still there. The wound isn't as raw, but that grief where we ebb and flow and we start to bind up the places where the, where the cracks are, we still feel the wounds. So that in its place comes true spirituality, authentic living. Your morals, ethics, and values, and your spiritual beliefs pointing you to your true north. But we carry grief, whether it's for the loss of a loved one, the loss of a pet. We know we carry grief with us. It's how then it compels us to move forward and turn back to our lives. So, and I've said this before too, that this season is also an invitation to redefine what we, how we define community. And that started to happen prior to COVID, where virtual communities now can be just as sacred and meaningful. And sometimes that is a better reflection of holding on as a safe and sacred space because they see you for who you really are. When those in in the closest proximity to us, we have to hide ourselves because they're not safe. So it is a chance for us to have a paradigm shift to say, what am I going to need? And if I can only find that in virtual communities, then that's where I'm headed. That's why I created the Facebook uh, membership so that we have a place where we can come together as a community and my other memberships as well. So find your communities, find your people. And if you haven't yet, just know they're coming. Continue to do the work of deconstructing. And it may look completely different because when we were inside a church community, oftentimes we were friends with hundreds of people. We saw them all the time in in worship and meetings and gatherings and and things like that. And, And it becomes known like a family, but it'll only take one or two to really know you and and love you unconditionally to hold that space. It is about redefining all the circles of influence that are around us because don't forget patriarchal indoctrination told us that we have no right to gatekeep who is in that inner circle, that they have the right to come in there and influence who you are and enforce limited beliefs on yourself to remind you that you're a broken person without the church and that you're full of sin, and that to be a godly, good Christian, you have to continue to do their bidding through how they say to worship, how much money to give, how much of your time that you give. And so when you've deconstructed from all that, you're learning new ways. And sometimes the first thing we want to do is replace that because it's known. 
But deconstructing is inviting you to new experiences because oftentimes what we left was so toxic, it never will serve our highest good. It really is sometimes like leaving an abusive relationship. And that's not like, that's not everybody's deconstructing experience, but it is for many of us. But because that feels known, we end up in the same cycle again and again and again. And who knows if, and I say this all the time, I'll get people who will say, why do you, why do you hate church so much? I don't hate church. I have never once told people to leave church and I've never told people not to go back. If that's where your, your true north is pointing you, maybe you will find a church someday, or maybe you will find that your spiritual journey is fine just out here where you are right now. Give it time. Next question. Do you think most religious people feel guilty at all about their existence? Absolutely. About how they treat you? Never. Never. Now let's expand on that. About their existence. We, part of our indoctrination is to feel guilty. Feel guilty that Jesus died for us. We can never do enough to express our gratitude, to show loyalty for, and be to be submitted to this faith because of what Jesus did for us, because we were born sinners. That's a doctrine that is hundreds of years old, not related to scripture at all, but it has definitely become part of the Christian theology, if you will. And so that guilt is something that feels warm and fuzzy, like a warm blanket. You put it around you like, yeah, there it is. There's those feelings of guilt and unworthiness. And I just need to do more. I just need to pray more. I just need to give more. I just need to love Jesus more because that makes me a good Christian and the weaponization of scripture. So I just need to judge more. I need to go out there and show my Christian love by telling people how much I hate them and how much they're going to hell. That all stuff is all tied up in that feeling and that belief of guilt, that they are guilty of the abomination of being born. And they're constantly looking for ways to sanctify their lives so that they feel worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So that's that, that's a whole thing about atonement theology, and it's very legit. And when you start to deconstruct from that, you can actually feel guilty for deconstructing from that because you're, you don't realize how much of your beliefs is tied into feeling guilty until you no longer feel guilty. And it feels delicious when you can start to deconstruct from it. Now, as far as the how they treat you, absolutely never. They are perpetually being spoon-fed from the pulpit that they are morally and spiritually superior than everybody else, that they have the right to believe that they're part of the exclusive Christian club. And the rest of us are just poor, pitiful souls that deserve to be admonished, that deserve to be controlled, that deserve to be oppressed because, hey, Freedom from religion doesn't mean that you get to live free from my religious beliefs. It means that I am free to express my beliefs and oppress you. And if you don't believe me that that is part of what they believe, go find Mike Pence's video where that's exactly what he says as, a, as an interview in Fox News. And if you can't find it, email me at info at and I'll send you the link. It is there. It is there. He actually literally explains it that way. That freedom from religion means I 
as a Christian, because he even goes on to say, like, you know, that it's contorted about what they say our Christian founding fathers meant for this to be a Christian nation. And therefore, freedom from religion means my, I don't have to be subjected to your beliefs, but you have to be subjected to mine. They are never going to feel guilty from that. We can preach about that, about what religious oppression is until we're blue in the face, until there's a day of reckoning inside church. And I believe there will be. I don't think it's sustainable. I think what's happening in this time of high tension and crisis, the church leaders of these high controlled churches will have a day of reckoning where they will see, as John Shelby Spong said, Christianity must change or die. And it absolutely will. I, I already think that there's element hints to say that it's, it's irreconcilable. It's going to happen now for the person who, so nothing I say is going to change that person's mind. Just like for me, it wasn't people telling me I was wrong. It was my lived experiences who told me this is, this is not spirituality. This is hypocritical. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to spew hatred towards people. This is not spirituality. This cannot be reconciled with the teachings of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. And this came from my lived experiences. So what we can hope for is that the people who are the most vitriolic and hate-filled and dangerous and wielding their, their actions based on their religious beliefs, that they have those experiences, that they see someone in their life be, be judged because of because they're a member of the LGBTQI plus community. And all of a sudden it pings them like, wait a minute, I love that person. And now all of a sudden, do I really believe they're going to hell? No. And then something starts to shift and peel away, but it's got to come from a softening of the heart. We can pray for that. We can hold space for it and visualize a new existence, a new humanity for all of us. But on the surface, are they? Absolutely not. All right, next question. What would you suggest someone do if they are deconstructing, not fully sure where they will land, yet still have to do Christian things, quote, for appearance, end quote, like pray in public or give devotionals? Well, first of all, no one should start a deconstructing journey thinking they know where they're going to land. You absolutely do not. And you are inhibiting some of your experience and what's possible in your spiritual growth and healing if you are making assumption of, of where you're going to heal and where you're going to go. It just doesn't work that way. And to make those assumptions really limits that. So let's try to hold on to the mystery of just being in the spiritual wilderness and that you will know where you are going in due time. There's no timeline on this. Okay, number two what do you do for appearance? Well, I want to tell you a story. Uh, I had the honor of being able to travel around the world with my husband uh, a couple of times. And we had the honor of visiting a Buddhist temple in South Korea. And there was a, a ritual happening at the time where we were going, it's called the uh, triple gem or three jewels, where we were going to walk in circles uh, three times. And then and this was to honor the Buddha, the Dharma, which is the teachings and the Sangha, which is the community. And there were chant, there was chanting happening and there were people holding that space and they, they signaled for us to join. I'm jumping right in. I want to experience this through, but again, I was far enough on my deconstructing journey. There were, there were people who were not, 
And there were some people who stood off to the side and that's absolutely fine. They were not comfortable, but there were people who took my lead and who were with our group and said, I'm going to do it. If Carla's comfortable doing it, then I'm going to do it. And we did it. And later they asked me what the ritual was. And I told them what the walking in circle uh, symbolizes the cyclical nature of existence and the continuity of the spiritual journey. And people will often chant certain things in that tradition when they walk in that circle. And one person said to me, well, I just prayed my prayer because I didn't want to be negatively influenced. And I, and I said, okay, you would not have been negatively influenced, but I honor your, your need to hold that space with your prayers in your tradition. And I, commend you for still being open to an experience. And he actually said, I, I actually enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it because that's how we can honor the tradition that we're in, but also experience something when somebody's invited. It doesn't mean you become a Buddhist. It's not any kind of evangelical experience, but when you're not sure, because based on your own experiences and you know how indoctrination looks like because you've been indoctrinated your entire life, you only assume that that's exactly what every other religious experience is doing. And you've been told that they're all evil. You expect that. But that's not what it was at all. It was just an invitation to experience a place to honor our connectivity. I, you know, I felt like it was a wonderful thing for us to do. So it's, it's a way for us to honor our traditions and rituals. And it was a way that they were offering prayer for the community. So the reason why I tell you this is because you could still partake in your prayers for appearance and not lose the fact that you're deconstructing. You can have something going on inside you that just allows you to experience, because I've even said there's parts of my religious heritage that I still honor and hold on to and find meaning in. And you will too, when you're through some of that, more of your deconstructing journey, but, and that, which takes time, like I've said, but hold on to that and know that there is a, there's a moment for healing. There's more than likely an opportunity for wisdom, a pause for breath. It actually can be helpful for your deconstructing journey as you reconcile with your religious heritage. You don't have to listen to the words, especially if there's if the if someone's praying publicly or corporately for as in a corporate worship for that's a prayer for that's extended for all of you on your behalf. You don't have to, if it's about judging the other people and telling people to turn away from sin and you no longer believe in those those kinds of beliefs, turn away from it. And say, I'm here to be in the presence of the divine. I'm here in love. And so you have this inner dialogue going on that actually helps you strengthen your resolve to stay on your spiritual journey. So you can turn this into an opportunity and, and literally see yourself and your foundation strengthening because you stood in your power, not being influenced by what's happening around you, but that you are actually creating something where you're learning how to protect your space. Because let's face it, we're always going to be, just, just through our lived experiences, we're always going to come up against something that's going to not necessarily align with our true self. So how do we get through it? We learn how to protect our peace and our space. So you have an opportunity to do that with this kind of experience. I hope that helps.
Okay, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening, beloved. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. And you can always connect with me on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And be sure to be checking out my website at RevCarla.com where we are constantly updating it to tell you about the live teachings, courses, and events that are upcoming. I'm so honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.